Good morning. Oh, thank you, Larry, for that crazy introduction. I really uh, don't deserve it, actually, but I appreciate it. Well, it's good to be here this morning. It's good to have Pastor Mark here and Joyce. Joyce, how you doing? Everybody's asking Mark, but how are you doing? You doing okay? Yeah, it's been a, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. A few years ago, I, I think I shared this, but a few years ago I had back surgery and I was out. I was, I was flat on my back and, and God does that sometimes to you to kind of get you to look up and, and to uh, just focus on him sometimes. And, uh, you know, I, I could not have done what I recovered as well as I did without my wife. So I know that uh, Mark truly appreciates you, Joyce. Amen. So uh, this morning, I want to, uh, I'm going to start uh, with a story from my uh, childhood. I grew up in New Jersey, and every year, our family vacation was traveling from northern New Jersey down to southern New Jersey to Wildwood, New Jersey. Has anybody ever been or heard of Wildwood, New Jersey? Just a few. Okay. Wild, I loved Wildwood, New Jersey. I loved going to the beach. We spent every day on the beach, and then we'd spend every night on the boardwalk. And now that I'm a parent, I can't quite understand how my parents afforded to take us to the boardwalk because it was just a money sieve. It just ran out. But they uh, took us to the boardwalk every week, every uh, night. And, you know, spending time on the beach was, as a child, was just awesome. Because you get to go in the water, you get to swim around, splash around, just have a great time in the water. And I remember every time I went into the water, my parents would say to me, make sure you stay right in front of the beach umbrella. Stay there. Keep it in your sight. I don't want you to move from the beach umbrella. So I'd go in the water, and I'd splash around, and the next thing I know, I'm about 30 yards down the, beach, down the water. Can't see the beach umbrella in front of me. My parents are like panicking because they can't see me. And I am, I've drifted. I've drifted because the current has taken me without me even realizing that I'm gone. And it took me, you know, I, I would just stop and panic and try to fight my way back. And of course, I'm going against the current at this point. It never even dawned on me to get out of the water and come across the sand. But if I had just kept my eye on the beach umbrella and wasn't so distracted by things going around me, I would have stayed right where I was supposed to stay. But I didn't keep my eye on the umbrella. And of course, um, the beach, I loved the beach until Jaws came out. That, that movie kind of wrecked wrecked going to the beach for me. Even today, you know, I'm, I'm 50, I'll be 55 this year, and even today, I can't go in the ocean, you know, without thinking that there's going to be a shark coming at me, you know? Give her, how many have that fear? I cannot be the only one. Okay. <laughs> you know, I feel seaweed passed by my leg, and I, fl I flip out. That's just the way I am, and it's, it's not normal, probably, but that's the way I am. But I didn't listen to my parents. 
I drift away, and the truth is, as I said before, if I had kept my eye focused on where it should have been, I would not have drifted. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had anything like that happen to you? As a parent, we would take our kids, when our kids were little, we would take them to Walmart or take them to Kmart or take them shopping someplace. And we would tell them, stay in our sight. But you know how kids are, right? They wander away. My twins used to love going in the center of the clothes racks. And they would hide there. And they thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I was panicked. But maybe you just got distracted and you, you didn't watch your parents uh, move away from the department that they were in when you were in a store and, and you drifted away from them. And it's the same thing that can happen in our spiritual lives. We don't mean for it to happen. But we get distracted. Things happen in our lives that pull us away. We miss a week at church. We miss time in the Word one day. And before you know it, it turns into two and three and four, six months. And you're gone. And you've drifted. You don't plan for it to happen, but something happens. You know, those, those little distractions come in, and we drift. And it's hard to get it back. We hear way too often about high-profile high Christians and leaders that, that have confessed to some sin, some moral failure. And what's astounding about that is that they don't, it's not usually a, a leap to that moral failure. It's just a slow drift. Little compromises here and there that lead us further and further down and away from, from God. It's usually the slow and unrecognizable drift away from God and the promises of the momentary pleasure that cause us to drift. It's just small steps away from the truth and the the enticement that's just out of reach. The promise of pleasure that takes us just a little bit past where we need to be. Once we're there, we just go for it. I have a friend, a young man, actually started coming to our youth group a few years ago. His name was Coma. Coma was a street kid, tough kid, but when he heard the gospel, he got fired up. 
and he prided himself on being intellectual. He would study. And he would get all the head knowledge, but it didn't communicate to his heart. And little by little, even that knowledge led him away from the gospel. And he drifted. Today, that young man is not even walking with God. He's denying God. And you wonder how that could happen. The truth is that it just takes one foolish decision led by another foolish decision, followed by another foolish decision that will get you away from God. Someone once said, we are one decision away from stupid. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers who by God's grace had understood the gospel and had been enjoying their newfound faith and their freedom by living by grace instead of under the law. Suddenly, they were distracted because they began hearing about the wrath of Nero that was pressing in on Christians. And the persecution was coming in close on them. And they were beginning to drift away from Christ and try to reconcile Christ and their Judaism because they figured out that if, if, they, if they kept with Judaism, they were safe. But if they stuck with Christ, they, they were enemies. And so they were tempted to, to keep their faith in Christ a secret. But they didn't really see the dangers of doing that, of trying to synchronize those two things. And they were wandering and, and, and wavering in their faith and their commitment to follow hard after Christ, to keep their eye on Christ. They were drifting. They were drifting. And the writer, who we don't really know who it is, wrote to remind them and to warn them to keep their eye focused centrally on Christ. Chapter 1, he talks about the superiority of Christ. In verse 2, he says that he mentions the fact that he was God's final word, the final expression, the ultimate expression of who God was. That he was the creator, he was God incarnate, he was the ultimate sacrifice for sin, and he was Lord over all. You'll find all of those things in verses 2 through 8 in chapter 1. And he says, he kind of lays out this argument that this is who you should be focusing on. This is where your focus needs to stay on Christ and Christ alone. But then he goes on in chapter 2, and, he, and we read it before, but I'll, I'll read the verse again, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. You know, he recognized the tendency for people to listen half-heartedly. To not pay attention, to not listen. To drift away. And what he's really saying, he's saying here, we have to be careful that we pay attention 
that we keep our eye focused because we do drift so easily. It's the human condition to drift, to not want to pay attention. But drifting has consequences. He goes on in 2 and 3 and he says that drifting, the consequence of drifting is that you can incur God's discipline. He says in 2 and 3, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression of disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We can't drift and think that it's not going to impact us. We can't drift away and think that we can, we can get away with it. That we're not going to reap the consequences of our actions. One of those uh, consequences is found in verse 8 of chapter 3. And it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the days of testing in the wilderness. The Israelites in the wilderness heard the Word of God. They saw His power, and yet they chose to not believe. They drifted from the truth that was right in front of them. And they suffered the consequences because that whole generation did not enter into the promised land, into into God's rest. It results in the loss of joy and peace. Verse 10 and 11 in chapter 3 says, Therefore I was provoked in that gener- with ge- that generation and said, they, shall not, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Not entering God's rest. Are you resting in God today? Is your confidence in God? Or, or is there something that you realize that something in your life that is causing you to drift away from God? Something where your devotion is divided. You're living on the fence. Half in the world and half in the Lord. Can I remind you who owns the fence? Satan owns the fence. He likes to keep us right there. So how do you avoid spiritual drift? Number one, you check your heart. You got to check your heart. In 1 John 2, 15 and 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Those desires, as the Apostle talks about there, The desire is for something that is forbidden. It's that lust. Those things that that God tells you to stay away from, you want it. So you're willing to do whatever you, 
you can to get to it. And that love loving loving the world is being content with or being well pleased with the things of, of the world rather than the things of God. The desires of the flesh are the sensuous nature of man, the, the animal cravings which entice you to sin. Those things that draw you away from God. It's our flesh that we wrestle with, right? We fight that every day. And we fight it on uh, our human desires. We fight it with our eyes, the things we see around us. And we fight it with our pride. Trusting in our own power. That we can, we've got this. That's what pride says. I've got it. I don't need your help. Those things, those things are the things that we need to check our hearts for. Does our heart love God wholeheartedly? Do we love Him to the point that we're willing to turn away from the things of the world? Turn away from the things that cause us to sin? That cause us to drift? An example of somebody who did not do this and drifted is found in 2 Timothy 4.10. We're talking about Demas, a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. And it says in, uh, first, in 2 Timothy 4.10, it says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas was a co-worker of Paul. He had been on all the, the travels with Paul. Had seen God's power working. And had experienced the victories of seeing whole cities turn to Christ. And yet, his heart was drifted and drifted to the love of the world. It says he deserted him, and that word there is actually means complete abandon, to leave behind everything. And and he has he said he's gone, gone to Thessalonica. He followed after another lifestyle. Thessalonica was a city that was steeped in idolatry. Demas' drift was slow and secret. Even as he was ministering to, with Paul, his heart was not with him. His heart was, was not with God. He probably had kept a pretty busy schedule if you, if you follow uh, Paul's travels. And yet, even in the busyness, he was drifting. Even in the midst of ministry, he was drifting. And I don't know what ministry, if you're involved in a ministry here, even on the, at the church, or in full-time ministry somewhere, but you can become so busy and enamored with your ministry, doing the good things, but still drifting. The joy is gone. The excitement is gone of serving God. And you just drift. 
You put the mask on. You play the game. You show yourself to be happy while you're in the ministry, but you know the secrets of your heart. The second way to avoid spiritual drift is to stay engaged. In Jude 20, he says, You, beloved, build yourself, keep building yourself up in, the, in, your, in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The book of Jude was written to believers warning them about the false teachers who are infiltrating the church. And the only way to spot the error, Jude is saying here, is to keep yourself in the Word of God. Keep yourself building up and in, the, in the Word of God and in, the, in your faith and in the Holy Spirit. Because if you weren't doing that, if you weren't keeping your eye in the right place on Christ and in His Word, and what you know to be true, you're going to drift. You're going to start listening to false teachers. You're going to start listening to them and putting into practice and listening to the things that they're doing and putting those things into practice. Just another step away from the truth of God. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4.7, it says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tale. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And in 2, 2.15, 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Building yourself up and training yourself and showing yourself are direct commands to each of us as individuals. It's not just pastor's job or the missionary's job. It's for each of us. We each have a responsibility to build ourselves up. Church is only as strong as its weakest member. If you are not spiritually strong, it's affecting the rest of the church. You can expect to drift further and further away from the Lord each time and each day you neglect reading and studying God's Word for yourself. Instead of building yourself up, you're going to drift away and your life is going to decay. In our town, if you've been to Riverhead, you see that there's a lot of buildings that are closed, a lot of businesses that are shut down. One of the biggest ones that shut down a few years ago was 84 Lumber. It was taken over, you know, it was put out of business by Lowe's and Home Depot and Riverhead Building Supply. But it was interesting, as, when they were open, when they were busy, when they were doing business regularly, their businesses and their buildings were, were pretty well maintained. I go past there now. The buildings are falling apart. The, the warehouses that were metal buildings are all rusted out. They ought to be taken down because they should be condemned. But that is an illustration to me, every time I drive by it, of what my spiritual life can be like if I don't stay fresh in God's Word every day. And it ought to be 
a picture for yourself of what your life will be if you don't stay in God's Word and keep building yourself up in the Word of God every day. That young man, Coma, he stepped away from the Word of God and he drifted. And his life is a train wreck now. So notice the progression. You love the world more than you love the Word. It leads to neglecting regular time in His Word. It causes unbelief and doubt. Requirement for having faith is hearing God's Word and obeying God's Word. Romans 10.7 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of God. Now we have to hold on to God's Word as well. In 1 Timothy 1.19 it says, Holding on to the faith and good conscience which have some rejected and so have suffered shipwreck, shipwreck in regard to their faith. That shipwreck, that's a drift. A ship adrift is a ship in danger. Picture a boat that cuts loose of its mooring. That just is out there floating around. What's going to happen to it? Eventually, the tide is going to bring it to the shore. Eventually, it's going to get destroyed. It'll either hit rocks or it'll get hit a sandbar. It, it's going to break up. It's going to be destroyed. A ship adrift is a dangerous thing because it has no, no direction. It has no restraints. There's nobody guiding it. And the only thing worse than a ship adrift is a Christian who's drifting. Because without direct direction or restraint, they're going to crash and burn. Number three, stay connected. Stay connected to the body. Staying connected to each other is a way to prevent spiritual drift. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. You know how many times I have found this to be true when I'm counseling people? Usually people that come for counseling, that talk to me, as I start talking to them and interacting with them, I realize that they've isolated themselves into their own little worlds. They don't want to really hear how to change. They just want to be validated in what they're doing. Look around you in this church today. Are there people that have stopped coming to church on a regular basis? Do you know where they're at? Do you know why they stopped coming? Show me a Christian who stopped attending church and I'll show you a Christian who's spiritually adrift. People isolate themselves because they want to do what they want to do. They don't want to be accountable. 
They just want their own way. There was a woman in our church a few years ago, a Hispanic woman, came. She had moved from Arkansas up to our church. She wasn't a believer. Started coming to our church. I got, got to lead her to Christ. And this past year, she has had a number of different things come up in her life where she has not responded correctly. She's had, she had her, her husband left, found out that her husband had molested her daughter earlier in their lives. Then she had a, still owned a house in Arkansas and her house while she was here was robbed down there. So she went down there to find out what was going on. She thought she had house insurance to cover what was taken and found out that the insurance broker wrote the wrong kind of policy so she had no insurance. So she lost, it was just one loss after another, after another, after another, after another. And she is totally drifting. She stopped coming to church. She stopped listening to counsel. She was coming to me for, my wife and I for a while, and we were, we were counseling her, trying to uh, show her perspective, God's perspective on the situation. She was responding for a little bit. But we saw her pulling back and pulling back. And I spoke to her earlier this week. She's like, no, I don't want anything to do with anybody. Leave me alone. She's isolated. And she's raging. Which is what it, Proverbs 18.1 is talking about. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out or rages against all sound judgment. That is the picture of a person who is drifting. Paul Tripp has said this. He says, the Christian life is a community project. We need each other. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you of the evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. We've got to be interacting with each other. We've got to be checking each other. Holding each other accountable on these things. He's talking about a community responsibility. When we're drifting spiritually, we need help getting back to where we need to be. And that's why the body of believers is so important. Staying connected. There are some people that have drifted so far, they can't get back on their own. Remember me in the water? I should have gone out and walked on the sand. But I didn't. Some people need help. They need rescuing. They get out so far in their drift that they're floundering around and nobody's hearing them. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who, are, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch of yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Scripture is all about community. It's about us helping each other in our walk towards, towards heaven. 
So as we're thinking about this, as you've been listening, maybe you've realized and recognized areas where you're drifting. Maybe you've been loving the world more than you've been loving the Word. Maybe you've been neglecting His Word and it's led to unbelief and doubts in your heart that you're wrestling through, but you're too prideful to talk about. Maybe you've even started to doubt. Doubt that God really even cares about you or wants a relationship with you. Maybe you've isolated yourself. Your, your problems in your world have, have just overwhelmed you. And you're not seeing God's perspective. I'm not here to bury you. But I am here to call you back. Back to the cross. Back to Christ. Let's look at three cures for spiritual drift. If you've been drifting away because you've loved the world more than the Word, change your passion. Change your passion. We all do things that we're passionate about, right? I love to cook. I will cook. I don't have a problem with cooking. I like to do it. I enjoy making the recipe up. I'm not one to follow a recipe. I'll just kind of put it all together. I love doing that. But what is your passion? My passion, one of my biggest passions is to write. I love writing. I love communicating through the written word of helping people understand truth about God in a way that they can understand it. I love that. So I give my life to that. That's my default. What are you passionate about? Think about this week what you have spent your time and your talent and your treasures on. Where have you spent your time? Where have you invested your talents? And where have you spent your treasures? What you answer in those questions is an indicator of where your passion is. If you spend your time on your internet, on the internet, that indicates that you're looking for community. You're not, looking, you're not looking in the church. Do you spend your money on what will burn eventually one day? Or do you spend it on investing in the lives of others? Let me remind you what 1 John 2.17 says. It says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Colossians 3.1-4 says, if, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on, thing, on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So Paul's saying there, remember that you've been raised with Christ. He deserves your affection. You're dead to the world which is perishing. The world system is dead to Christ. You're seated with Him in the heavenlies. That's where your treasure needs to be. And your future is glorious. It says, set your heart on things above. Don't give your love and devotion that belongs to Christ alone. Don't give it to lesser gods. The things that are going to perish. If you've been drifting away because you're neglecting the Word, then change your priority. 1 Peter 2, 2, it says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in your salvation. One of the greatest things, the, the easiest, it's a simple tool, but one of the tools that I use that I learned of, uh, years ago is being in a daily quiet time, a structured daily quiet time. One of the things that we have through Word of Life is a daily devotional. Daily quiet time. Just getting them into the Word of God, getting into a Word of God systematically every day. This is a tool that helps me stay accountable. That helps me to be accountable to each other, to other people. So there are quiet times, and I have samples of these if you would like them. Uh, I have samples of these up here if you would like them, but getting into God's Word. You know, when, when, when you open a quiet time and you have a blank staring at you from yesterday because you haven't done your quiet time, you haven't spent time in God's Word, that's kind of convicting. When I talk to teenagers and, and, and they're struggling in their quiet time, here's one thing I tell them to do. If you have a blank, just write two words. Satan won. Satan won. Because if you're not in the Word, you're not changing your mind. Your heart's not growing towards Christ. You're on the fence. So if you drifted away because you've isolated yourself, change your position. Humble yourself before the Lord and ask His forgiveness. Get back in the fellowship with others. Start talking to one another. You know, you could come in to church on a Sunday and go out and never have a conversation with another, another believer. That is possible. But it's not what God says ought to be happening. In Hebrews 3.13, it says, Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to have interaction with each other. We need to communicate with each other and to be honest and open with each other. I'm going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone right now. I want you to look at the person 
either in front of you or behind you. Just find one person in front of you or behind you. Everybody turn around and look. Turn around and look. Okay, let me ask you this question. How well do you know that person? Are you aware, if I were to come up to you and ask you, what is happening in the life of that person behind you? A struggle, maybe a struggle that they're having. Could you answer that? Could you answer it? Would you be able to answer this question? What is their greatest spiritual victory or their biggest spiritual defeat this week? Could you answer that question? Do you know how you could exhort them or edify them in their spiritual walk this week? What is one thing you can do to help them? What would it look like? Have you ever asked that person that you were just talking to, that you were just looking at, have you ever asked them what you can be praying about for them this week? Remember I was telling you, comfort zone, you're going to be out of it? I want you to turn around to that person again, and I want you to ask that question, what can I be praying for you this week? Go. And if you're not talking to somebody, get up and move and find somebody. All right, how many have a prayer request of that person? Show me your hands if you have a prayer request for, for somebody. Okay, you going to pray for them? You going to follow up with them and see how they're doing next week? Amen. That's community. Now, think about those people that maybe you're noticing are not here. Where are they at? Are they drifting? Next question is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to find out where they're at? Unless you're able to, willing to step out of your comfort zone. And maybe give them that call or, or send them a text. Do you care about, care about that person enough to call them back? 
to help them focus their, their hearts and their, their lives back on the cross. Do you know somebody that's maybe not even just drifting, but he or she is drowning? And they need rescue. You, if you've been in New York, you've heard this. If you see something, say something. It, do, it does no good to talk to a person, somebody else, about a problem that another person's having. It's only when you go and talk to that person and, and are, you're willing to confront them that the change can happen. You know, one of the most dangerous things for a lifeguard is to try to, find, try to rescue a drowning person because they're, they're fighting. That doesn't stop the lifeguard from going. And we're all spiritual lifeguards for each other. If you care for that person, you're going to confront them. And you're going to keep confronting them and calling them back. Another way to keep from spiritually drifting is to share your faith. Is to share and go out and do some evangelism. And I'm not talking to like go out on the street unless you love doing that. I'm talking about just talking to somebody that doesn't know Christ. And talking to them about the Lord. One of the uh, easiest ways that we could do that, we have some books on the back table, um, on the visitor table back there called Take the 21-Day Challenge. And this is a Gospel of John. And the front of it has a Gospel presentation. This is an easy way for, for a, somebody that has no idea who Jesus is to start learning about who Jesus is. And the idea with this book is if you take one, you take two, one for yourself and one for a person that doesn't know Christ, and give that to them and ask them to read a chapter a day there's 21 chapters, 21 days. And you have a conversation every day with them about what they've learned. If you want to stay spiritually sharp, you talk to an unbeliever because they have lots of questions about who Jesus is. So I'd encourage you to pick up two of these in the back and take that 21-day challenge for yourself. Just one thing as we're closing. Just imagine what this church would be like if, if each person here took a personal interest and a responsibility for themselves spiritually and for the rest of the people in this congregation. It would change the dynamic of your church and keep you from drifting. It'll keep you focused on Christ and be a lighthouse, you'll be that lighthouse that Larry was talking about to this community. Because when they see people that are on fire for Christ, that are moving forward for Christ, it's contagious. It's contagious. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this time. Lord, I thank You for the time in Your Word this morning. 
And God, our hearts are prone to wander, as the hymnist said. Lord, we wander so quickly. And we need Your Word so desperately. And Your convicting Spirit to keep us focused and keep us sharp, God. I pray, Lord, uh, for this congregation, Father, that they would take the challenge to just keep accountable to each other. Seriously. Lord, that New Village will just be a, a beacon of light and of hope to this, con this community. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.